<clears throat> I fail to welcome those to live streaming here at Landmark Baptist Church here in Lyons, Georgia. We welcome you and we pray that the Lord will bless you as we've already got some listening. We pray the Lord will see fit to bless you. Well, folks, I have been vindicated. And I'm going to tell you why. Today I was listening to I guess a trial going on, whatever it is. And one of the Democrat lawyers got up there today and he said that Donald J. Trump gave the orders to assassinate the Vice President Nancy Pelosi. And I said, the Vice President Nancy Pelosi? Then he stopped and he said, oh, I mean Vice President Pence. So I tell you, I said, amen, because I was vindicated. He's a lot younger than I am. And so uh, people do make mistakes. Even, even young people make mistakes when they say these things. But um, y'all pray for me as... Uh, I'm sure I haven't made my last mistake yet. Um, let's all stand, if you would, turn to Hebrews 7. We want to read uh, two verse, uh, three verses, or three verses, I believe it is, anyway. We want to begin reading in verse 14. We're going to read through verse 16 in Hebrews 7. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judea, Judea, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident, for that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there ariseth another priest who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the day. Thank you for the blessings of it. Thank you for watching over to take care of it. Thank you for your word, Lord. I pray you bless it. Lord, I pray you'll use me tonight as I try to preach this message. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Folks, I have rewritten this message three times. So it's, it's kind of difficult to preach in this from the book of Hebrews, really is. But um, I got the same title that I had last week, The Everlasting Priesthood. It's, it's Sermon 2. And last week we saw the priesthood of Melchizedek as a type of Christ. So that got us down to where we want to be. We saw how that sin had taken over the house of Israel and the doom that they brought against themselves. And what they did is they broke the moral laws of God. We talked about that last week. We talked about the difference in Levitical laws and the moral laws. This week we're going to study the making of a priest. Now, we only got one point I guess you could say 
And that point is, what was the making of a priest? What was the making of a priest? This week, we want to see the making of a priest who was not a priest after the order of the Levites. Now, if you study Old Testament, you'll learn that all the priests came through the Levites. But uh, this is one priest that was made that was not after that order of the Levites. Men who were born into the tribe of the Levites automatically became priests at a certain age. The Bible states concerning this priest who is made not after the law of carnal commandment. Now, men dictated as to how a priest should act and how a priest should do. Just like a pastor or a preacher, you know, it's not man that dictates to a preacher as to what he does, what he preaches, and where he preaches, but it's God. It's God's one that leads and leads him to preach uh, uh, the things that he would have him to preach. So he says that this, this priest that we're referring to here was made not after the law of the carnal commandment, but he was made made after. Not he was not made after a carnal commandment. And that speaks of the tribe of Levites, who made their priest according to human family ties. Now, we're going to talk about a little later on the message. We're going to talk about uh, how that even some families today believe that. If the grandfather was a preacher, then the son should be a preacher, and and the uh, the um, grandson should be a preacher, and the great grandson should be a preacher. And I know that uh, first thing I heard when people learned that the Lord called me to preach, I had a great grandfather. I didn't know it. I didn't know him. Never did know him. But I had a great-grandfather who was a Sovereign Grace Landmark Missionary Baptist preacher. I didn't know that. And everybody said, well, he's fallen after his great-grandfather. That was my mother's grandfather. And uh, said he's fallen after his great-grandfather as being a Sovereign Grace Landmark Missionary Baptist preacher. But that's not so. I became a Sovereign Grace Landmark Missionary Baptist preacher because that's what God led me to when he called me to preach. Now, the Levites did their appointment of priests according to the ceremonial law in general. Under ceremonial, ceremonial law, the Israelites did everything according to the flesh. The ceremonial laws had to do with the flesh. And you, you'd be surprised what they expect out of a priest. Now, you, I don't have time to go back and show you in the book of Genesis, but a priest had to walk the line, as my mom used to say. My mom used to tell us, boy, y'all need to walk the line. Well, they had to walk the line. They had to, they had to be, they had to be holy. They had to be righteous. Or they, or they were taken out of the priesthood in that. The Israelites demanded 
that every son in here, we're going to get into something here that you're going to wonder why, but you will as we go along. The Israelites demanded that every son be circumcised, which was a mark of religious law. It was a mark of uh, religious, I'm sorry, it was a mark of religious law. Now, uh, or a religious order of the law. Jehovah God told Abraham, This is my covenant, which ye shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised. Now, I'm bringing that out because we even have sect today even in the ministry that demands that very thing, that demands that very thing, you wonder where that came from. Well, that came from a religious order in the Old Testament. There's no, there's no law today. I heard it when I was growing up that uh, there was laws that said that a child, a man-child has to be circumcised at a certain age. But there's no such law today that says that. No such law that demands that today. But the covenant that God made with Abraham, that every man child among you shall be circumcised. There was a penalty in order for any that was caught not being circumcised. There was a penalty out there for them. And the penalty was death. That's why that they was careful. That's why that when Moses had uh, his sons and he set them down and, and he took a sharp rock and, and, and he circumcised them with a sharp rock and the blood flew, flowed and his wife left him. She picked up the foreskin of her son and she threw it at Moses and she said, bloody Jew. She called him a bloody Jew. Well, that was necessary. It was necessary that Moses do that very thing. It is the same today with a lot of preachers who are called by a family member. You'd be surprised the preachers today that are set in the ministry because they're of a family member or in some cases in a family situation. What do I mean by a family situation? Let's say that a preacher has sons, and those sons in many circumstances are expected to follow their father in the ministry. Not always, but in some circumstances. They were, they're expected to follow their father in the ministry. And believe it or not, we do have some young men those sons in a ministry that are there because that's what they were told. And, and now I'm not saying they're not called. I'm just saying that uh, they thought that they must follow their father in the ministry. And I, I always said that it was nice that a man would have a son and that son would follow the father in the ministry. But... Uh, 
That's not the way God does it. I, I didn't I didn't learn that I had a great grandfather that was a sovereign grace landmark missionary Baptist preacher till I'd been preaching for many years. I learned that my mom before she passed away, she told me about her grandfather being she said he preached just the same things that you preach. And I said, Well mom, I preach the same things you're supposed to believe. And uh, so, but at any rate, I learned that after I've been in the ministry for a while. But I certainly didn't go into the ministry because I had a great-grandfather that was a sovereign grace landmark missionary Baptist. I went into the ministry because that's what God called me to do. Three sureties in my life, and I've always, I've said this many times, and I'll say it many times more. There are three sureties in my life. Number one, God saved me. I know that for sure. March 27, 1967, God saved me. God called me to preach. First, The first Lord's Day in May, God called me to preach of that same year. God called me to preach, and I know that for sure. And my third surety of life is I'm exactly where God wants me right now. That's what I believe. I believe that I'm not to be any other place but where I am right now. I don't care if I'm preaching church in in North Carolina, if I'm preaching a church in Michigan, or if I'm preaching a church in Florida, or whatever, I'm, I'm right where the Lord wants me at that particular time, that particular hour. I'm right where the Lord wants me. Now, there were ancient religions that required an operation before one could serve as a priest, even what we call today a preacher. There, there, are, there are religions today that believe preachers ought to be examined before they become preachers, and, uh, and they, they have to have certain operations before they can become a preacher. There's one of them now. You, I don't know, Winston was a Catholic. I think Brother uh, um, Billy Ray was a Catholic, but... But, you know, Catholic priests had to go through a lot before they could become a Catholic priest. They had to go through a lot. They had to go through a lot of examination and a lot of, uh, of, of religious things. A pastor in the Old Testament could not have a blemish. Now, that's a pastor in the Old Testament, not a pastor in the New Testament. I've heard, I've heard people liken a pastor in the New Testament to pastors in the Old Testament. There is, no, there is no likeness. A pastor in the Old Testament could not have a blemish. He couldn't have a scar. He couldn't have a, he had to be, his flesh had to be perfect. He couldn't have a scar. He couldn't be blind in one eye. He couldn't be, uh, he couldn't be um, uh, sickly. Or he couldn't be a pastor in the, in the Old Testament. The problem today that there are those who will take these laws out of their context. They'll take these laws out of the context and they, they, they try to make uh, the same thing. And so when we get down to the making of a priest, the making of our priest, 
then you'll see that uh, God was in control of all of that. A lot of preachers today become preachers after the order of the Old Testament law. Yeah, they do. They they become preachers. You know, they uh, there are people today who, just like Brother uh, Gordon Buchanan said one time, Somebody mentioned that a preacher has to be perfect. And Brother Gordon Buchanan said, well, they, none of us can be preachers then. He said, all, all of us might as well just quit preaching because he said that right here in this pulpit. He said, all of us might as well, might as well quit preaching because he said there's none of us that are perfect. But they take, the, they take a verse in the scriptures out of context in Timothy where the Lord talks about a pastor has to be, has to have his family in control. And Brother Gordon Buchanan said, well, there's none of us have complete control over our family. And he said, if that's the case, then if that's what that means, then he said, no, none of us can be preachers. And, and I know what he's talking about because if that, if that is true. However, and here's where we're going to, rest of this message has to do with the everlasting priest. However, our everlasting priest, who was Christ, was not made such by man, but was appointed such by God. That's the reason Moses says, or, or it says over here in the 15th verse, and, and it is yet far more evident, no, I'm sorry, in the 14th verse, for it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning the priesthood. So Jesus did wasn't a priest. Jesus didn't become a priest after the order of the Levites. He became a priest because God ordained him to be that very thing. He ordained him to be that very thing for us, as we'll learn. Our everlasting high priest, according to the great apostle, he says, who is made not after the law of carnal commandment, but the power of an endless life. So Jesus was given the priesthood, our everlasting priesthood, because he, he was resurrected from the dead and he lives forever right now. He'll never die. He'll, he'll never die again. As a matter of fact, Paul says here in the book of Hebrews that he's not going to come and die again. He'll never die again because he's an everlasting priest in the priesthood. God the Father made Jesus, his only begotten Son, an everlasting priest. God the Father made each of us priests and kings. Now think about that for just a moment. He made him an everlasting priest. But he made all of us priests and kings. I want you to turn with me to Hebrews 9, if you would. One, one, one chapter over, or two chapters over, Hebrews 9. And I'm going to start reading in verse 11. He says, But Christ, being come a high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, so he had a church. This everlasting priest was given a church. That church consisted of, was instituted with 
by 12 of his followers who were disciples. He said, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having attained eternal redemption for us. One time. Jesus is not going to come back and die again. You may be one of the most sinful people in the world, but he's not going to come back and die again. That's the reason we have an advocate with the Father, that if we go to him and we pray to him, he'll give us forgiveness for our sins. You know, I've, I've heard a lot of people pray for other people's sins. But sometimes you don't ever hear people pray for their own sins. What he says here, he says, for 13th verse, for if the blood and bulls and uh, blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself, Without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Now, folks, once you're saved, conscience is, is, is out of the picture. If conscience is out of the picture. You know, some people say, well, you know, my conscience bothered me. Your conscience shouldn't bother you after you're saved. It could be the Holy Spirit bothering you. It could be the Holy Spirit showing you something that you don't want to see. Because sometimes when the Holy Spirit shows you things, then you realize that I must be more faithful to God, and you don't want to be more faithful to God. You want to have things your own way. Look what, what else he says here. And for this cause, the 15th verse... And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Now the Old Testament saints, most of them... Had to, they had to walk a straight line. But the Lord, it says here that because of Jesus, because of Christ's death, and they no longer have to follow the law, but they, 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 they have the promise of eternal inheritance. 16th verse. For where a testament is must also be the necessity and the death of the testator which is Jesus Christ. For a testament is a force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. Whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept, all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. 
Moses was prophesying of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ or the Messiah to the earth. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves were better sacrificed, were better sacrifices than these. For Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are the figure of the true, but into heaven itself, not to appear in the presence of God, or now to appear in the presence of God, for who? For us. He's there right now. Presence of God, making intercession for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often, as the high priest entereth into the holy place, every year with blood of others. Jesus, it's not necessary for Christ to do that. It's not necessary for you to go back and ask the Lord to save you again after you've been saved. You know, you got to realize you're saved eternally. When the Lord saves you, he saves you for all eternity. He doesn't save you just long enough until you sin again. How many religions believe that? There's a lot today that believe that. There's a lot of a lot of your uh, religions out there that that believe that if you commit a sin, then you have to go back and ask to be saved again. And we we read in the sixth chapter of the book of uh, of the book of Hebrews that Jesus said it's impossible for that to happen. Because if that was true, then Jesus would have to come back and die again, and he's not going to do that. He's not going to come back and die again for you. So you might as well get happy in the fact that, and and be secure in the fact that the Lord died for you once, and he saved you for all eternity. Eternal security. Oh, there's so many people today that don't believe Talking to a, a man just here not too long ago, not here at church, but talking to a man not too long ago, he, he got on to me because I taught eternal security. He said, you know you can lose your salvation. I said, no, you can't. I said, no, you can't. He said, oh, yes, you can. He said, my preacher has told us that. That if you lose your salvation, then you have to go back to the cross and pray again for the Lord to redeem you, save you. That's not so. Folks, that's not so. I, I can't help it. That's just not so. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what he's teaching here. He says, saying, this is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels and almost all things are by law purged with blood. And without the shedding of blood, it's no remission. It was therefore necessary that the patterns, that is the pictures of things in the heavens, should be purified with these. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifice than these. For Christ has not entered into the holy places 
made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of his. Nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entered into the holy places every year with blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. He did that not only for us, but he did that for the Old Testament saints. The Old Testament saints looked forward to him coming and shedding his precious blood that they might be saved. We look back at him. We look back at the fact that he did come and he shed his precious blood that we have eternal salvation. He says in the verse 27 verse, he says, As it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. I've said this so many times. I, I, I got a, someone stopped me at a funeral several years ago. We were going out to, they were bringing a casket out, and, and we were going out before the casket, and somebody grabbed me by the arm. And they said, you said something up there that I didn't realize. What I said up there was, men's not afraid of dying. There's no one in here that's afraid of dying. But what, you're afraid, what people are afraid of is the judgment that comes afterwards. He grabbed me by the arm. He said, I never heard that before. But he said, I see, I understand now. He said, I understand that it's not, it's not death that scares people. It's judgment. What's going to happen after death? How I many of you ever thought about what's going to happen after death? What is the judgment going to be like? We don't know what the judgment's going to be like. We won't know it until we go through it. And lost men don't know what the judgment is going to be like either. If they did, they... Now, every one of them be flocking to Christ to be saved. And I know of a man right now that he's not saved and he's real sick. He's real sick. Y'all pray for him. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. He's going to show up again, and we're going to see him. When, when the world sees him, and they're going to see him, every knee's going to bow, and every tongue's going to confess. I didn't know. Lord, I didn't know. Lord, I didn't understand it. Brother Paul Jackson never explained it to me. Or some other preacher. Never explained it to me. Never explained to me what it's what it's like but I'm telling you folks he's going to appear the second time without sin unto salvation it was John who says and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us 
and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Revelation 1, verses 5 and 6. He made us kings and priests. He made us kings and priests. You're an everlasting priest. But you're not the everlasting priest, but you're an everlasting priest. You're going to be an everlasting king. Do you ever realize that, that when, the, when, when the millennium comes, God's going to appoint certain people over a place like maybe Lyons or Toombs County or something like that? God's going to appoint them over and that the world is going to be governed by, by God. And you know, those people that he sets over there, they're going, to be, they're going to govern the world, the very things that God would have them to do. And that's going to last for a thousand years. After that thousand years, Satan's going to be let loose. He's in the bottomless pit. He's put in the bottomless pit at the beginning of the thousand years. He's going to be let loose, and he's going to go out. And those people who have lived through a perfect government they're going to be given the opportunity to repent. And the Bible says they're not going to repent. So you can see where we are today. You, you would think that I had, we had a preacher one time in Kentucky that committed suicide because he had preached to people for about four or five years and no one made a move. And he couldn't stand that. He said, I don't see, I don't see why they didn't make a move. Ben, Dave, ben Brother David Collier sat down with him, and we both told him, we told him, we said that God never promised to save everybody. He said, well, I preached the gospel to them, and nobody's made a move. And later on, he committed suicide because he felt like that people should make a move. I'm going to tell you, folks, you can't move nowhere until God moves you. You can't move anywhere until God moves you. You'll say, well, well, God moved me years ago. Well, you're saved. Don't don't go around being sad about it. Go around being happy and glorious about the fact that the Lord has saved us. It is God who calls his men to be preachers and pastors. If a man is not God called, he needs not to be in the ministry. I read several years ago from a newspaper that a church was looking for a man to hire to be their pastor. And I just heard this week that a church around here also put out a flyer for a man to be a pastor. That's not the way God does it. Thank God Jesus instituted the first church and God called the first pastors and he still is calling them today. May God bless you is my prayer. Let's all stand if you would. Let's be dismissed.